2: Hey guys, this is Troy, host of CLE Rocks. Thanks for tuning in to our latest live episode, focused on The Legacy of Prince, recorded at the Music Box Supper Club on May 18th in Cleveland's flats. CLE Rocks is brought to you by Wonderstruck Music Festival, taking place July 9th and 10th at Lakeland Community College in Kirkland, Ohio.
3: Wonderstruck is coming to Cleveland. For this two-day music festival, see top artists, including The Lumineers, Vampire Weekend, and more. Get your tickets now at WonderStruckFest.com. Hello, Cleveland!
2: Thank you, thank you. Uh, I was going to start with, you know, a dearly beloved, but I didn't know how, <laughs> how corny that was going to be, so we'll just leave that be. Uh, as Mike mentioned, this is part of this is the live version of our CLE Rocks podcast for Cleveland.com, where we look back at uh, the rich music history in Cleveland, and you can find that on every major podcast platform. And this is also being recorded, so we're going to flip this into a podcast recording that you know, if if someone couldn't be here that wants to check it out, they'll be able to listen to it tomorrow morning via Cleveland.com or Spotify, Apple Music, and, and so forth. Um, before we get started, I do want to shout out our sponsor because that's what I get paid to do, uh, is Wonderstruck Music Festival, which takes place uh, July 9th and 10th at Lakeland Community College in Kirkland, Ohio. This year's headliners are Vampire Weekend and Lumineers. Uh, You can get your tickets at wonderstruckfest.com. Come for the music, come for the drinks, food, fun for the family. It's an awesome event, and it's uh, really the only annual major music festival in the Cleveland area that's been pretty consistent. All right, now that that's out of the way, let's talk about Prince. Um, <laughs> uh, it's funny, you know, we did a David Bowie uh, podcast event like this a, a few months ago, and it went really well, and since that time, I've wanted to do Prince, who's one of my, I, I don't want to say my favorite artist, because uh, I don't want to seem biased then when I write about Prince, but I don't think there's an artist I own more music of that person than Prince. Prince. Uh, and I remember distinctly when I was like seven or eight uh going to my aunt's house, my dad's sister, and her having this portrait of Prince shirtless in a shower with a with a crucifix next to the shower head and I was, said was it on velvet uh, <laughs> it might have been it it was a very i was like you know it was early nineties late eighties, so she she had like a waterbed still and a salt uh, uh, a tank with like piranhas, but she had this Prince poster, and I had no idea who he was at the time. She said, "Aunt May, who's that?" And she says, "That's God." God. <laughs> God. That's God. <laughs> okay, um, I, see I see him every yeah. She see him every did. night. <laughs> um, so I want to introduce you guys. You know, that's my story with Prince, but really, the you know, these events are about our, our excellent panel we've put together. So I want to introduce these guys. First up, give it up for Michael Gallucci, who is the managing editor of Ultimate Classic Rock here on the end. Right. I said this in, in some of the releases to promote this show, Mike. Do I have this right? I, I think you remember, I remember you saying that uh, Purple Rain was one of your favorite albums of all time. Is that right?
4: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: And, and for Ultimate Classic Rock, too, after Prince's death you guys and with your partner site diffuser you spent almost an entire year or you did spend an entire year on prints we we
4: actually did an entire year at diffuser where i was the actual editor there for like about 7 months until it drove me nuts but we spent a year breaking down it was 365 days of prints and we did, one song a day, and we went through B-sides, everything from like 17 Days to the real popular songs to like the Batman soundtrack songs. So that was a really fun series. I probably wrote about 15 or 20 of those. Well,
2: cool. Next up we have uh, Alan Porcolab from the founder of Bogarts, which is a legendary concert club in Cincinnati, and give it up for Alan because <laughs> here in Cleveland... You know, we have our historic music venues, uh, the Agora, you know, Beachland, and, and some of these big places. Bogarts has that sense of history in Cincinnati, and, and Alan's got some Prince stories because it was a favorite venue of Prince's um, as, he, as he got bigger and played in the Midwest. Um, so, Alan, I, I'm curious. You, you founded Bogarts in 75.
5: 1975,
2: right? 75. Uh, Live Nation started running. You sold it to Live Nation in 97.
5: Well, actually, it was Niederlander. Okay. And Niederlander sold to SFX. SFX sold to Clear Channel Communications, which spun off into Live Nation.
2: And, and, and for anybody to know, Bogarts was really, if you look at its history, had a lot of acts there. Mo, you know, U2, Police, uh, Beastie Boys, R.E.M., uh, Joan Jett, and most of them before they were big names.
5: Yeah, we have over 20% of the artists who are in, currently in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame played Bogarts. Yeah. So we got them all, I mean... And you could have seen U two for three bucks, Boston for three dollars. <laughs> how I mean, much in, in the early days.
2: How much was we'll talk about Prince's shows. He played there, I think, in 80, 1980, actually, in his first headlining right. tour. Right. How much would that ticket have been?
5: I think it was three or four bucks.
2: Seven songs too. I looked up the set list. Seven songs he played. Yeah, it's pretty bucks. crazy. All right, next up we have a duo here. Okay, we have Michael Lesko and Leah Nesbitt of The Prince Project, one of the nation's leading Prince tribute bands. Prince and the Revolution. You want to say that? Prince and the Revolution. Okay. Very important. Um, okay, so you guys, if you guys aren't familiar with them, and I want to shout out, I, I believe they're playing here at the Music Box. Uh, Mike Miller said June. I think it's August 12th. Yeah, he's shaking his head. Yes, August twelfth, you can check them out. So get tickets for that. Um, if you if you're unfamiliar, just go to YouTube and look at the trailer uh, that promotes who they are and and the detail, the the attention to detail, the costumes. Now assuming the details, um, Dr. Fink is right here. That's that's who uh, Michael plays, and then we have the lovely Wendy. <laughs> um, and just to prove you that if you've seen them live, that they are real people, I, I, I looked up what they do, outside of the Prince Project. Oh, Oh, here we go. Michael is an accomplished creative director and art director. Uh, He's done work for a lot of big name companies. MTV, Nickelodeon, Coca-Cola. But I did find it, I gotta ask you Michael, interesting that you do not list the Prince Project on your LinkedIn page.
1: Well, you, quite mean, possibly I, I, your greatest accomplishment. Well,
6: no, no, I agree, but I mean, it's sort of like your uh, your creative clients that you're do, you're working with corporate people that want you to create, uh, you know, like print projects and web projects. They don't want to hear about what you do on the weekend. You know what I mean? And no, it it is a really important part of my life, but to be quite honest with you, keeping track of the bands. And booking for us and, and doing all those wonderful things, dealing with these great folks. I mean, that's kept me busy. So I, I don't have a lot of time to
2: be, to, be, uh, to, to be honing things online, which I probably should. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> all good. Um, and, and Leah, who does list the Prince Projects on her LinkedIn page, um, you have been playing music uh, you know, in bands and doing some solo stuff around the Youngstown area for a while now. A very long time. you're a guitarist in the Prince Project, but you also play saxophone?
1: I do. Actually, my main instrument is vocals. I've been a vocalist since I was 10 years old. I started performing in the Youngstown area at age 10. I'm turning 35 this summer, so I've been performing for nearly 25 years at this point. Um, But yes, I play saxophone, and I'm fairly new to guitar.
2: And how long does it take you to get ready for a show as Wendy
1: with The Prince Project? It takes me, out of the group, the longest. (laughs) Uh, I have many layers. I wear dance hose, and I have uh, lingerie that I wear, of course, playing Wendy from the Purple Rain era. Um, I've got fishnet stockings. I've got socks and tennis shoes, of course. Um, A garter belt. Lots of makeup and big hair. A lot of makeup and 80s-style giant hair. Yeah, so... I can rush an hour, but I like to start two hours in advance so I don't have to rush. <laughs> so usually in the middle of our sound check, I'm like, "Come on, guys! Like this hair doesn't get big by itself." <laughs> My curling iron's on in the green room.
2: I want to, you know, let's stay with you guys for a second because I really want to talk about Prince's legacy and we can get to some of the stories and, and if you guys have seen him and your encounters or and covering him or concerts, uh, I want to ask you, Michael. Um, I read this in an interview but most people here probably don't know this why you know the answer to this why are there not a lot of Prince tribute acts in the country oh it
6: is it is super hard to cover Prince <laughs> I mean it's there there are other tribute bands out there There's some terrific ones like Purple Rain out of Las Vegas who has a residency at the Tropicana and then there's uh yeah absolutely They're we fantastic. love them Fantastic. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's the, per- the Purple experience, the Prince experience, wonderful, wonderful bands. But it's a really hard act to cover. I mean, because Prince was, you know, was such a, f- a phenomenal musician. And, and, and I think that the way we've tried to, to kind of make ourselves a little bit different or kind of niche ourselves within that group is uh, everyone starts out being Prince and the revolution. But they usually tail off with people in the revolution just because there's so many turnovers in the band members. So they have to end up using a lot of people that are, you know, uh, you know, maybe union or, or you know, get a, a new bass player for the weekend or something like that. We've tried to maintain Prince and the revolution because we, we believe that's a... For for me, it's the most important part, uh, the, the part that I love the most about Prince and, and the part that I feel like we we can really shine and do well. And, and the only way to do that is with, like you said earlier, with is, is attention to detail. And that's why there's not a lot of people out there doing it, to be able to get all of that amazing detail of the, the Lynn drum machine sounds, the, the 1940s uh, vintage uh, spotlight in the, in the, in the front, uh, all the members of the band, of course, doing the, 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 these iconic steps, you know. I mean, I I think it's just important to, if you're going to pay tribute to a guy, do it right, right?
1: And Michael has been completely instrumental in the entire overall look um, and feel, being a Prince fan, as long as he has, and growing up through the, the Purple Rain era. I mean, everything, when we started, to even now, is we have to be true to the show. We do it our own way, but... We want to do Prince justice for all of the Prince fans, for all of you guys wearing your awesome Purple Rain and Prince T-shirts tonight. You want to come see what you saw in the Purple Rain movie, and Michael is the reason why our show is as authentic as it is.
2: Yeah, the videos I've seen, you know, I haven't had a chance to see you guys live. I'll, you know, I'm looking forward to it in August, but they're really cool. I Want to kick it over to um, Michael Galucci, my man from Ultimate Classic Rock over there. You've covered every you know, artists, whether, you know, interviewing them or doing retrospectives, you even ranked, I think you've ranked every Beatles song, which is an accomplishment in itself. <laughs> um, where does Prince rank when you guys when you start talking about, when you guys start talking about the, the pantheon of the greatest acts of all time and, and career runs? So he's right up there, right?
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, personally, probably top five. And I always kind of gauge this, how interested am I in the B-sides and following the sessionography and the discography and making my own kind of mixtapes and playlists of different eras. And really, there's probably just a handful of artists who can do that, and Prince is definitely one of them. I mean, just the staggering amount of material he made during the Purple Rain sessions is just incredible. I mean, it's you not only have that, you have the songs he gave to the Bengals, Sheila E, um, Apollonia and the family, all this stuff just going on at that time. And I mean, Christ, is there anyone, if you can even name who has a career like that? He was doing that probably within like 12, 15 months. I mean, you don't get much greater than that. And Alan, the
2: reason I'm so ex- I was so excited to get Alan for this because there's there's three really awesome in my mind Prince stories uh, that are attached to Bogarts and I don't know I haven't heard you talk about this one much and it might be you know because he wasn't Prince uh, so to speak but d- what do you remember if anything from his first show at Bogarts in 1980 Do you remember that all that much
5: I remember quite a bit and and I remember whoever played the club I'd look at them. And listen, and I'd say, I think they're going to make it. They're not going to make it. And I thought, this guy's got superstardom written all over him and the way the fans reacted. And uh, he wasn't that well-known, and he sold out in a matter of days. Now, again, it was only 450 seats at that time. But um, but touching on what you said, he is a perfectionist. He is an absolute perfectionist.
2: And you tell this story about he would go to the soundboard or the console at the club, right?
5: When they did the uh, Red, White, and Blue tour, uh, we were called and they told us that Prince wants to do a dress rehearsal date for his Purple Rain tour that was going to be in large venues all across America. We were quite excited, couldn't tell anybody. Staff came in, and in those days we still had pay phones, they disabled the pay phones, (laughs) they disabled the phones (laughs) in the (laughs) office, (laughs) so no one could call and say Prince is going to be here. I think the word got out because WBLZ, uh, the radio station in Cincinnati that was promoting it, said they saw a purple plane uh, land at Lunkin Airport. <laughs> but, but it was sold out, and it was 1500 capacity. And uh, tickets were $5, and everybody was there. I mean, Apollonia, Morris Day, Jerome. I mean, they were all there. And uh, when they were preparing for the show, p- which is very unusual... Prince is out by the soundboard checking the levels himself, and uh, uh, they were all very nice, very accommodating. Uh, I give a lot of credit to Chuck DeBoe, who worked for Columbia Records at the time. Uh, Prince did like did like Bogart a lot. He did come to Bogart's, other than when he was playing. One time, he he got in the, the, the my staff told me, production manager, hey, Prince is here. I go, yes, yeah, sure. We had <laughs> we had uh, James Brown and Wilson Pickett. They were doing two shows, and they said Prince came to the back. And I said, really? So I went back, and, and it was actually Prince. And he loved, obviously, as you know, he loved James Brown, got a lot of his dance moves from James Brown. But, but he came there for that. But uh, Chuck DeBeau with Columbia was a friend, uh, and Prince liked, liked the room, said we're going to do this dress rehearsal date. And I always tell the story that I was standing in, in the room And there were two girls standing next to me. And they were doing the backlit. And this girl says, look at that guy trying to be Prince. (laughs) And the other girl looks at her and says, you idiot, that is Prince. (laughs) And then the whole place went crazy. Uh, What a phenomenal show.
2: So to set the stage, though, so that was September, I think, 23rd, 1984. Right. Purple Rain, everything comes out in the summer, the movie, the album. And you just get a call and it's like we right. want to do a secret show. Right. A dress rehearsal for the tour that's kicking off. I don't remember if it was November or October right. or whatever. Exactly. And they want to large do it, venues. And that, they want to do it at Bogart's. They
5: wanted to do it at Bogart's. <laughs> and uh, we said, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we sign? <laughs> and they said tickets are only gonna be five dollars. You can't charge more than five dollars. Can't tell anybody. And and we didn't. Uh, and it was it was just a phenomenal experience. Just a phenomenal experience, and, and you know, he, Prince was not very talkative, very nice, but not very talkative. Uh, but he, he was always very gracious, very polite, and uh, you know, complimentary, he said, you know, I really like your club. I said, you want to play here tomorrow too? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was very exciting, but Chuck DeBoe deserves a lot of credit for that, who was a Columbia Records rep.
2: Michael over here you 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 talk i've seen you in interviews talk about being a prince fan from the early days of Prince. What was your first prince experience in in concert? do you remember Oh, in concert it wasn 't until much
6: later because okay. i I grew up on a, a, a
2: you know very poor part of Pittsburgh,
6: and we just didn 't have money for concerts right but but what I was was like if you looked up uh, teenage angst in the dictionary you 'd see me so like I was looking for something to grab onto in regards to like being a an outlet or a, a sort of you know bucking against the system kind of thing so when i when I first heard you know me and my friends were going to to local clubs in ohio and in pittsburgh and we were we were getting in with our fake i d s you know <laughs> we wouldn't drink we just want to be there you know and um and uh uh you know um.
2: teenage angst.
6: Yes, okay, so my, yeah, so, uh, so at any rate, I had heard, like, I, well, I heard more of Morris Day at the clubs than I heard of Prince, but then Prince came out with a few songs from the Dirty Mind album, which I absolutely loved, and then as soon as controversy ca- came around, I was absolutely hooked with this guy, you know, he had the whole rude boy attitude, and then for the, the rest of the, the foreseeable future, I mean, that's what I liked about Prince, I liked the fact that... He bucked the system. He didn't care. You know, the whole revolution was something that was against the system. You know, we're going to turn this around because the 80s were so sort of segmented off into style and, and culture and different different music, you know, and the, the one would not cro- cross the other, but Prince was just transcending that. So it was just like, I, I just immediately identified with Prince, and I'm just like, I, I have to see this guy. I have to follow this guy, and and really didn't get a chance to really, really appreciate him until he was uh, on MTV, which was he was one of the very, very first, uh, certainly uh, R&B or black artists to, to be on MTV. Uh, and, it, you know, we were talking earlier at the time. I was also a huge Rick James fan. who was real <laughs> upset about that. But, uh, but then I ended up seeing, uh, actually, uh, Prince later at the uh, Civic Arena before it was you know, before they, they moved everything over to the new arena in Pittsburgh, and I just, uh, it was a religious experience for me, you know what I mean? I just absolutely loved it, but what I loved about Prince's concert, and I don't know if he did it in the concert that you guys seen, too, is he was refining those shows even during, when he was playing. You know, if the if the, the lighting director would get something wrong, he would stop the show, make a note on it, and then he would, he would go back to his show, and people didn't care, they loved it, but Talk about perfectionist for sure.
1: What show did you see? Yeah, what what year? What it? tour?
6: Oh, it was. Um, gosh, I mean, um, I'm not exactly sure what tour it was because it wasn't. It wasn't supporting an album. It was just. It was. It, it may have been. I mean, it was. It was certainly with the New Power Generation, but uh, I don't think it was anything for Sign of the Times or anything like that. And I think it was just sort of circling back around after that, because he had no problem at that time covering his whole catalog. You know, I know later on, it, you know, he had some issues in changing things up, but he covered his entire catalog. So it wasn't supporting
2: an album, that's for sure. Yeah, and you talk about the refining. I remember uh, we did a podcast episode, which is how I met um, Alan, is uh, on the 1984 Purple Rain tour, which uh, I'm sure some people here, you know, might have went to the Coliseum two nights that he did uh, that December. Um, yeah, and, and he actually had opened that tour with I think seven straight sold out nights in Detroit at Joe Louis Arena. Right. Yeah, seven in a row. Yeah, he, he Detroit was really big in, in breaking him outside of, of Minnesota. Um, they had a DJ there that was really into Prince, and I talked to Gary Graf, a reporter uh, who covered those shows, and he said. He didn't they weren't bad but he said it was good he was still figuring things out and then he had watched uh i think it's the Syracuse uh show that's on VHS and now DVD when i goes it, it just it was night and day it was by that point he had nailed everything um michael i wanted to ask you when you when you went back and you're looking at the prince albums Take me through the eras, uh, how they impressed you. Because you were doing 365 songs, then I think you reviewed uh, Sign of the Times, Deluxe, 1999, Deluxe. Um, What was it like going through the different eras of Prince? Because every album was an event.
4: Yeah, and especially, I mean, you mentioned Sign of the Times. There's just so many different styles on there. And a lot of people probably know the backstory that three different albums were made by Prince until Sign of the Times came out. So he shelved three different albums. It finally became Sign of the Times. And it sounds at times like there's all these different styles going in there, but it's still a really consistent record. And you mentioned how Purple Rain, I mentioned, is one of my favorite albums. But, you know, my head tells me Sign of the Times is the better album because it's just all over the place. But my heart goes out to the... um, Purple Rain, it just means a lot more to me. But yeah, going through all that stuff, it's just, you're you're going through the eras and you just watch him progress. And by the time he was playing with the new power generation, it's just so tight. And you really, I think James Brown is probably the closest um, thing that you can compare him, or person you can compare him to at that time, because everything was just so tight. I mean, you can everything just stops and then it just starts. I mean, there was like no room for any kind of like fucking up. But there was also just, you know, the, the, the air he was performing with is it, just amazing. I mean, even when his albums didn't weren't so great, you know, a little bit later in his career, he was still just this fantastic performer and he led these great bands. Did you get to see
2: him live cuz I know you working at scene and you previewed a Prince show but I don't right. remember if you got you to see it You
4: know what I, I so I my first Prince show was actually the Purple Rain show the second night at the Coliseum oh, wow. Yeah and <laughs> That's not right a lot of you That's were, not right. I should have been <laughs> Well a lot of you probably you know did this but like remember waiting out for tickets at like Ticketron you know for tickets <laughs> Okay I I had a friend in high school and his mom worked there so we used to get tickets all the time, like, so we didn't have to wait. We had a falling out that summer. So (laughs) Prince was there, and that was the first time I had to wait. But it was, like, a Friday night. I remember just waiting there, like, at 7 p.m. until, I think, 10 a.m. or whenever the Ticketron, like, opened its doors. And we had, like, atrocious seats. We were, like, probably the farthest. Like, if you took, like, a yardstick and measured how far back, that's how far back we were. But it was still just such an amazing show because... I'd lived with Purple Rain and all those B-sides and the Sheila E. album all that summer, and she opened, you know, and so it was just, I was just in heaven just watching that performance. It was just so great.
2: What was the buzz like? Because I've talked to people who went to those shows, and they talk about people dressing like Prince, lead at school, you know, by the lockers, like getting ready. What was the buzz like as people were anticipating? Because the album, the movie, and now you hear, oh, he's coming here for two nights at Richfield. What was the buzz like among people that were getting ready to go?
4: Yeah, I mean, it was just, everyone owned that album. I mean, I can't, I don't know anyone who didn't own that album, and loved that album in, in that summer, so it was just, everyone there wanted to be there. It wasn't just kind of like a drive-by, like, oh, he's kind of popular, now let's check him out. <laughs> everyone wanted to be there, and also, I mean, I don't know how quickly those shows sold out, but, you know... There were just fans wanting to be there because it sold out so quickly. So you didn't just have the drive-by people there. You had people who wanted to be there. So, Alan, did you get this? Did you actually running a club that was, you know, after Prince did his
2: rehearsal, you're still booking shows. Did you get to see the finished product? I mean, you saw the rehearsal, the secret no, saw, show.
5: It, yeah, I saw the whole thing. <laughs> I, went, I didn't want to miss that show. <laughs>
2: did, so did you go, what I mean, though, is did you go later to one of the Purple Rain gigs? No,
5: I never did. Okay. I never did. But uh, I guess
2: you can't complain if you're, you know, was it fifteen hundred? Was that fifteen
5: hundred? But I'm sure that you could probably find one hundred and fifty thousand people who said they were there that night.
2: Well, there's also too, and if you guys get a chance, if you Google Bogarts and Prince, there are actually a few photos. I think we had exchanged emails. Yes. There's a few yes. floating around. There's also one from the 1980s. It says from nineteen eighty. It says he's backstage at Bogarts and Prince. It almost looks like album cover for that album uh, that yeah. he was touring on. Um, I got to ask Leah, so you're the youngest one of us up here.
1: Yes, that's true. <laughs> um,
2: how did you get into this? How did you get roped into this Prince uh, tribute it's
1: kind, of, <laughs> it's kind of Michael's fault, actually, I which know, is why it's, it's I said he needed fault. to be here. Um, because I felt kind of guilty, Troy, asking me to be here tonight Um only living through maybe the last few years of the 80s and, and not really getting to live that Purple Rain era, watching Prince rise to stardom the way that he did, coming to Prince much later in life, much, I mean, much later than most of you guys here, uh, through the 90s and the 2000s, more with the musicology tour. Um, but like I said before, I'd been a musician for a really long time. I had recorded and written music, and I'd been in local cover bands, and I was just tired of it. I was tired of performing the same old like Mustang Sally and play that funky music White Boy and shout and stuff at weddings. Good music, but when you play it every night for you know, 10, 15 years, you're ready for a break. So I took a little bit of a sabbatical trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do, and I knew I wanted to do something on a more professional level where I could meet some interesting people who were more like me. And I saw a Facebook post from... Michael in a Facebook group for local musicians in the Northeast Ohio area. And I was the only person that commented on the post, you know, looking to start a Prince tribute group, um, you know, costumes, dance moves, playing clubs, things like that. And I was like, the only comment that I left said, that sounds fun. (laughs) I didn't say, like, ooh, me, 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 I'm interested, pick me. Just because I didn't arrive to this group as a hardcore Prince fan like you guys. Have been growing up. But I did have a best friend growing up who loved Prince. And we would ride around in high school in her Chrysler New Yorker and listen to the Purple Rain album. And the songs that I knew that I really loved, like Little Red Corvette, When Doves Cry, Seven, stuff like that, we would sing that together. But she introduced me to the movie and the soundtrack and a lot more of the songs. So I have a lot of memories with her being my best friend growing up, her introducing me to that, and it was kind of totally foreign to me because I grew up in a country household, and when I started singing at 10, I was a country-western singer. So um, it was like an awakening for me at that point. So when I saw his post, I said, sounds fun, and then I didn't get a message from him. I didn't message him. I didn't know what to make of it, and I sort of went... Something like that would be cool. I don't, Do I want to be in a tribute band? Is it something I'm interested in? I don't know. And I just sort of slept on it. And then um, probably a month or so later, I got a message, a Facebook message from Michael that was not meant for me. It was an accident. And I was like, oh, are you talking there's auditions this weekend for the Prince Tribute Band? Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, I'm interested. Just looking forward to get into the next gig. And he was like, because we hadn't been talking before, he's like, well, you have to learn five songs by Sunday on guitar and vocals. And if you want to come, just let me know. We'll be here for auditions. And I was like, I'll be there because I love a good challenge. I'm competitive like that. So that was a Friday and auditions were on Sunday. And I was a very new guitarist at that time doing an acoustic duo. And I probably knew like five chords (laughs) without a capo. At that point. And so I remember I was at work getting the message and I talked to one of my coworkers, and I was like, I'm going to spend my entire weekend studying Prince, learning all of the harmony vocals, playing guitar on these songs. And I'm just going to like knock their socks off. And I don't know if they're going to point me in the group, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see if I learn all the music. So I showed up on um, Sunday for auditions and lo and behold, I <laughs> by attrition, I was the only um, female that showed up for the auditions. Um, but I was interested. I was hooked when we started playing together. Is I that mean,
2: why there's no Lisa? Is that's it? why
1: there's no Lisa because <laughs> I think it's really hard to find a female guitarist, especially in such um, an area like Youngstown, Northeast Ohio, Pennsylvania. Um, there aren't a lot of it's women. Impossible,
7: who rock. actually.
1: And I wanted to become a woman who rocked, so I was like, "All right, I'm going to do this." and here we are, and it's been wildly successful, and I've been loving every minute of it
2: how How much pressure is there? you know there's a lot of cover bands out there. you know you see like okay, there's an a c d c cover band. you nail the vocals, you pretty much got it. you know how much pressure is there in covering or er, being a tribute act for Prince, because everybody out here, everybody coming to the show. They know all the moves verbatim and from the end critics. of Purple Rain, all of it. So how much pressure comes when you guys are putting that show together? When it, uh, it,
6: for, for me, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I, I kind of take a, a hint from my art career for this. Sort of when you look at an image uh, and you walk away from it, something that's striking to you, you, you remember specific things about it. You don't remember absolutely everything. You know, photo. You know, realistic memory, whatever. But you remember those core, common details that, that if you have common sense, that you know other people are going to catch as well. So that's what we tried to do because there's no one, there's no one that can reproduce prints. That's impossible. Uh, we we took a we took a beating from from a lot of Facebook groups <laughs> that thought that we were. You know, we really are a tribute. We're not trying to trying to. You know. I just—it broke my heart to be able to know that I'm not going to hear this guy's music live again from him. You know what I mean? It broke my heart, um, and I know. Yeah, absolutely. So I—so I'm like, I'm like, I felt compelled to do it. You know, and it—and it was just something that that I I had to move forward. You know what I mean? And um, and and, and gosh, I mean, when if if I could step back a second for with Leah is that the the most critical part in the whole band was going to be her part because i knew i i don't know why but i knew i could find a prince performer you know maybe not to play the guitar at the same rate but i but to be able to find someone like leah who is in the middle of farm country <laughs> you know I'm, I'm starting this in the middle of colombiano ohio you know she's in the middle of farm country. She, she likes, gu- likes guitar and is willing to pick it up for her to go through everything that she went through. is incredible. So, I mean, it's been a, it's been a very passionate, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we care deeply about everything that we do. And, you know, like I said, we took a beating from a lot of different places and heard, heard from uh, Paisley Park. But we just kept moving forward because of the love of his music. But we don't, you know, we don't think for a second that we're we're prince. But
2: you said and, you heard from Paisley Park? Yeah. Yeah, what
6: we. Oh, I knew we were going to. Oh. I was like, I, I. We baited them actually because we thought it would be great publicity. You know that you know Paisley Park contacted us. They knew about this little band out in, you know, like, you know, <laughs> uh, the east side of Ohio. And um and they did. They contacted us. They were actually really wonderful about it. They they understood what we were trying to do. And I I spoke with them and and they gave us some wonderful guidelines. You know, we're not sponsored by Paisley Park. We're not, uh, you know, endorsed by them. But they, but you know, they, they were encouraged to hear that other people were out there trying to keep the music going. And and I couldn't have been happier about that, especially when... And that's that's kept my heart going for Paisley Park, even through these, like, you know, these announcements of them taking away, you know, more Stay in the Times name. You know, things like, you know, petty little things like that. But it's it's just... Uh, yeah, we, we knew we would hear from them and we walked that, being a creative director, I knew how to walk the uh, the line as far as not uh, going into copyright infringement and trademarks and things like that, but I pushed it <laughs> and, 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 and I got their attention.
1: And we did hear from them pretty early on in the start of our career as well, so Michael came to the rest of us in the band, he's like, guys... We got a letter from Paisley Park. We're on their radar. They know us. <laughs> we, got
6: a I mean, ce- we got a cease and yeah. desist order on a Facebook it, post. Thank you very much. Thank it was, you. Thank it was you. A very,
1: very kindly worded letter. Like you got to be careful how you use Prince's name. It can't be the biggest word on your poster, and you have to put this really nice, like little. Um, paragraph and disclaimer on all of your social media so that they know that you're not really associated with Paisley Park. But they did say, you know, keep going, keep sharing the music, keep doing what you're doing. Just, you know, under until, our guidelines. Until
2: we shut you down, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alan, I want to ask you, you know, uh, Michael mentions, you know, not being able to hear any more music from Prince, his death. I'm curious, because what was it like? You, you had this secret show that was legendary, and I'm sure it's a story you told is, is part of, you know, your career in the industry and at Bogart's. Did, were people asking you about that over time? Because it seemed like after his death there was a rush for Prince content. Did you get, feel sort of bombarded about this show that happened so long ago? You know,
5: actually, i got a lot of calls from Cincinnati, from TV, radio, and newspapers about the show. I want to add one thing. I wanted to be a musician growing up. I grew up in Lorain, Ohio, by the way. Uh, spent 45 years in Cincinnati. But uh, I wanted to be a musician. I played the keyboards poorly, People would, ah,
6: keyboards. Nice. People
5: would pay me not to play. <laughs> but I managed the band <laughs> when I was still in high school. So that's how I got into this end of the business. But yes, uh, TV stations called, radio stations called, newspapers called, all about Prince. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a tremendous loss. It was a tremendous loss to me. Now, per- personally, growing up in Lorraine, uh, I didn't, I think at that time it was WKYC, but I listened to CKLW. I love CKLW. And, you know, Live of the Rooster Tail with the Four Tops. I'll tell you an interesting story. It's not about Prince, it was the Four Tops. You don't hear about loyalty much anymore. When the Four Tops played Bogarts, um, Duke, talking to Duke, and he was telling me what a great guy Levi Stubbs was, who did all the lead vocals. And he said, when they were doing Lady Sings the Blues, They came to Levi Stubbs. They wanted him to play the Billy Dee Williams part. And Levi Stubbs said, yeah, I'll do that. What about the three other tops? And they said, we don't have anything in the movie for them. He turned down that role out of loyalty to the four tops. Yeah, you don't hear much of that anymore, do you? You don't hear much of that anymore. But but I grew up with that kind of music. You know, Marvin Gaye, the four tops, Martha and the Vandellas. I always had a love for music, although my career went in a different direction. When I went back to the university to work on a master's, I was tired of school, and that's why I started Bogarts. We we bought Bogarts, which was called the Inner Circle, and his greatest claim to fame, other than it was closed, uh, was that Johnny Bench debuted his singing career <laughs> <laughs> at this club. And uh, we started out, and it was a real struggle as I... Uh, told uh, Troy, in our first seven months, we lost a quarter million dollars. And, and it was a struggle to turn it around. But uh, thanks to the good people of Cincinnati and surrounding areas and the great artists that played there, uh, we were able to do that. We were able to persevere.
2: And you mentioned you know, being from Lorraine um, and, and, and being a fan of Motown, you know, Cleveland had a hub, right? Leo's Casino.
5: Leo's Casino.
2: Where you were able to see, like, Smokey Robinson, the Miracle Supremes. Yes. They came here quite often.
5: Yes. Leo's was legendary, yeah. obviously. And uh, that was always impressive. I kind of got the urge to do something uh, like Bogart's from Leo's Casino. I mean, what they were able to do. Uh, but yeah, Motown, my favorite. Music was Motown. And talk about legendary, artist, genius, Barry Gordy. I mean, Barry Gordy. (laughs) That guy's (laughs) amazing. Michael,
2: let me, you know, I want to get back to Prince with you. There was the 84, the Purple Rain. Did you get to see him again after that in
4: in his career, later in his career? I Pretty sure I saw the Love Sexy tour. <laughs> I was I was in one of those places where I was in living in two different states and going back and forth. I'm pretty and I, as we were talking earlier before all this, I've covered so much. There are times that are blur. People bring up to me, "Yeah, I was at that show." I'm pretty sure I saw the Love Sexy tour. Yes, you said
2: something. I think it was like an interview with with a bunch of the editors or writers for maybe when you were at Diffuser, but I, I believe you said. You talked about Prince's death and one thing that really got to you was not being able to see to witness this late career surge that a lot of artists have. What made you so sure that you know that that, that was probably coming from Prince?
4: Just everything we talked about earlier. He's a legend. I mean, you know, everyone almost everyone, you know, from Johnny Cash to a Tom Petty, even George Harrison, Roy Orbison—all these people just, you know, had their highs, and they w- then they just kind of peaked again in their older years, and they were making these creatively great records. And Prince was on the upswing too. I mean, the—I forget the the trio of albums he released. But was it like two years before he died? You know, if you just mash all three of those together, there's one great album in there, and I think he probably. And just like I said earlier, too, is just that he was still a great performer. Even if the records weren't all that great at the time, you, you just kind of sense that he, he was just one of those people. He lasted that long. He made so many great albums and so much great music that, and he was so young. What was he, like 57 when he yeah. died or yeah. something like that? I mean, come on. He had at least probably another 13, 14 years of like probably really good music in him take me back to the i, I want to get back to this rehearsal before since you know you're one
2: of 1500
5: people i haven't met anyone As else I said, probably 150,000 today it's, it's
2: like springsteen at the agora you know you run into right. you know people who you know 500,000 people that were at springsteen's agora show right. i'm sure right. it's the
5: same with prince no question all the the great shows that we did at bogarts you could find 20 times more people were there i mean you know for boston um, they sold out two shows, and in those days, I think we were 300 seats, 350 seats, but you could find 30 times more. Everybody went to that show. So for the very popular shows, yeah, I was there. I was there. Just like all the people say, I saw the no-hitter that Len Barker threw uh, in person. But uh, no, that show really demonstrated you know, his artistry. And again, he was such a perfectionist making sure everything was right. I mean, they went through the rehearsal. The rehearsal was probably three hours wow. that day.
2: How did you guys... Ma- I know it's different time. There's no social media or, or cell phones back then, but how do you keep... I, I'm imagining that the word got out a little bit because the show sold out, but how did you keep it from a mob of 50,000 people showing up outside of right. Bogarts? Well,
5: well, as I said earlier, they disabled the pay phones... <laughs> the phones in the office and the other offices were disabled. They actually had people at the doors. No one could come in and no one could leave. So we were kind of cut off from the real world. Uh, But the word had gotten out that it was going to be Prince. But before it got out, it had sold out. So that was 1,500 seats, just based on the red, white, and blue tour.
4: So who were people expecting to see? What was the red, white, and blue tour? That's
5: a great question. I was asking myself the same thing. How did we sell (laughs) 1,500 seats for the red, white, and blue tour? And the radio station that promoted it, WBLZ, they actually, in 1988, for 24 hours, 24 hours, they played one song, 1999, (laughs) for 24 hours. I really like that song. I started to tire of it a little bit. <laughs>
1: it comes back around again after a while, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking
5: but of... Go ahead. Go ahead, I was going to say, I, I don't know. Did people think that he was going to be there? I mean, we did Huey Lewis in the News once, and then when he got really big, he came back and wanted to do something special, and they didn't go by Huey Lewis in the News. It was somebody else. And maybe people just felt, hey, it's going to be Huey Lewis. You know, I don't know. Yeah. You, you don't know why... Things capture people's imagination.
2: It's just, I mean, you know, it's the biggest pop star in the world. at the Oh, peak my God. Hours, the secret show.
5: Absolutely. I mean, it, w- it was in the media the <laughs> next day, you know, nonstop. You know, Prince was at Bogart's. Prince was at Bogart's.
2: And were you guys, I mean, were you a made venue at that point? How big was that for you guys as a venue?
5: At that time, we were 1,500.
2: No, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, publicity. How much, you know, how big of a a publicity boost was that for Bogart's on, you know, uh, you guys were obviously doing pretty well if Prince is calling you for for a secret show. Right.
5: I mean, when we started out, when we were 250 seats, we had to basically establish our pedigree with the agencies, uh, you know, New York, LA, and you'd say, because they didn't want to send an artist to a venue that was unproven, because it would make the agency look bad. So, I literally knew every artist. I said, well, so-and-so played here, so-and-so played here, so-and-so played here. Uh, So we got a pretty good reputation. Another really good show we did, uh, as probably most of you know, Carly Simon stopped touring because she had stage fright. Well, we got a call from her manager. She was going to do four shows in the country. She wanted to do one at Bogart's. So before she went out again on the road, she did a a dress rehearsal at, at Bogart's. So... And, and, again, the people, the staff, Nobody does it I mean, they made the club. They really made the club.
2: And I want to, you know, and before I move on, I want to say this because we talked about this before, and you did do an interview. There was an artist in the 70s they brought to you, and they wanted him to play here. He was getting a lot of buzz in Cleveland. He was selling out here, and you were like, we, One can't, of my big we can't sell it.
5: One of my big regret. Yes, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> and Bruce Springsteen was getting no airplay. And we would have lost a lot of money. And at that point in time, we didn't have money to lose. So we had to turn him down. But, but I, I told uh, Troy earlier, I got a call once in the office. And my uh, secretary said, uh, Bill Graham is on the phone for you. You know, the legendary Bill Graham. Right. And I, I answered the phone. He goes, hi, this is Bill Graham. And I said something like, yeah, I'm John Kennedy. And he said, no, I'm, <laughs> he said, no, I'm really Bill Graham. I said, Mr. Graham, it's an honor to speak to you. Um, what can I do for you, sir? He said, I want Eddie money to play your venue. And I said, Eddie's not getting any airplay in Cincinnati. And so we pitched an idea to him to do a free show where we would paper the house. And we did, and it was packed. And after that, he got a lot of airplay and became a very popular artist. But that was one of the things we did with a number of artists who were not getting exposure. Believe it or not, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers was a free show at Bogarts. Wow. You was telling we were
2: all sitting over there chatting before this and the most passion you got was recounting uh, somebody from Tina Turner's camp called and wanted her to play Bogarts and someone in your team never called them back.
5: (laughs) Yeah, we found out, and and she was popular then. We found out that somebody (laughs) knew my production manager and called my production manager about a Tina Turner playing at the club. I found out about this, obviously, after the fact. He never called back. Aww. I wanted to fire him, but I <laughs> I didn't have the heart. <laughs> uh,
2: we're going to take questions in a little bit or comments if you guys want to share memories. Uh, but I did want to ask you guys over here, Prince songs, okay? It's a vast catalog. And obviously, you guys are Prince in the Revolution. How the heck do you come up with a set list for your shows? And... Are there songs that you wanted to do that you weren't able to do?
1: (laughs) Well, the hits, obviously. Everybody wants to come see the hits. And I think it was important for us off the rip to make sure that we incorporated as much of the Purple Rain album as possible because that's what we were emulating as much on stage. His tour for Purple Rain, the movie for Purple Rain. We do a lot of choreography from the movie Purple Rain. So that was our jumping point, really. Um, but in one of our earlier iterations, we had rehearsed probably 40 Prince songs that ran the gamut of time, starting from 78, going all the way to, uh, can I say, P-Control? <laughs> I don't know, uh, going all the way to Pussy Control and um, Sexy Motherfucker. Um, we looked Do at all of make those. make the cut? They- no, <laughs> no, because we ended up deciding to stay within the Purple Rain era, within the Revolution era, and, and then we go, you know, oh, we should do the look because, you know, you could sing it and um, it's a great song. And then a couple of guys will be like, yeah, but is it Purple Rain Arrows with the Revolution? So, like, we mince over little details like that because the fans really care about that thing. But fans come to our shows and they want to hear all the songs that I mentioned. I mean, I think P-Control is probably one of our most requested songs, as a matter of fact.
2: Someone just in the audience, like, plays. Oh, this. all the
1: time. All just about just about every show somebody shouts that that's like the prince version of freebird.
2: You know, we could we could
6: actually play for yeah, really.
1: We do that one.
6: We could actually play for 4 hours and there's <laughs> still going to be that additional Prince song that someone's going to going to want done and uh and and it's it's always like, you know, we we either lie and say we're going to do that later or, <laughs> or really again, it's it's sort of like, you know, we we want to do, do those iconic songs that were very special to Prince and the Revolution. So, so for us, that's easy. We have a much smaller group of songs to pick from. And uh, we're, we're matching that against very, very uh, dedicated, parkour Prince fans. Like, we have a few songs that we play just for them. Absolutely. You know, 17 days. You know, the, the average person doesn't know that pop life. Strangely enough, a lot of people don't know that. But we play those for that those those hardcore Prince fans. Then we have the regular people that remember Purple Rain. Then there's others that really don't know. They kind of knew a Prince, but they you know they they're really just coming because their girlfriend wants to come. And we, we you know we 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 bring them along as, as many lying. radio they're hits lying. as we can, <laughs> so that they they so everyone takes away
2: something from our set. And, and just so people know, you guys aren't you know, fucking around. I mean, your front man, your prince, is a seasoned performer, former American Idol contestant. Uh, talk about that. Also, how do you find someone like that in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, to front your <laughs> prince oh, tribute band? Cle- Cleveland's
6: own, Shane Golden. Yeah, yeah so he's, he's already, yeah. <laughs> Incredible. We love him.
2: He lucked out. I mean.
1: It's a difficult feat to find somebody who can play Prince because Prince was the ultimate musician. That's why we all love him. I mean, the man played 22-plus instruments and danced in, what, two, three-inch stiletto heels? And, you know, was really interesting when he came out, um, 78, 79, 80, and had this really, like, transgender look at the time where he was very feminine and people weren't sure what to make of him. So now he's a legend, but getting somebody to want to portray that on stage can still be really difficult. And it's it's a tall order, you know? We want somebody who can sing. We want somebody who can dance. We want somebody who can possibly play guitar because he did all those things. I mean, Prince was not just a triple threat. He was, I mean, everything as a musician, just endless in the abilities and the skills that he had. So... um, I mean, there were some hungry days and nights searching for somebody who could fit that bill. And and Shane came in and he just had a ton of energy and he's dancing all over the place and he's got a killer voice and a huge Prince fan um, and learning guitar to do it as well. So he's just been nothing but fantastic as a frontman for a group and trying to play Prince and eager to take on the challenge as well, wanting to make sure that we please all of the fans that We don't want to anger people because we don't want to say that we are doing Prince exactly. Nobody can do that. Nobody can replicate this guy. But that we're paying homage to him and his greatness, his royal badness, and that we want to keep that music alive and that we have killer um, performers and entertainers on stage doing that music justice for all of you guys and all of the fans who have stuck with him and his music all this time.
2: Before we take questions, I have one more question for Alan, um, because you got closer to Prince than any of us. Um, you know, we've seen him, some of us have seen him live. Um, maybe we had great seats. You got close to him. We talk about Prince the Performer and sort of this enigma. I'm not, I, I know you probably didn't have a conversation with him, but what was he like as just a man?
7: He was very
5: quiet. He was, he was very quiet. But, but yeah, he, again, um, I talked to him, I think for three, four minutes. Um, Talked to him when he was at the James Brown show. You know, I walked. I said, "You enjoying the show, Prince?" He goes, "Yeah." <laughs> That's about it. But but he was he was very quiet. Um, but the one thing I will stress, he was an absolute perfectionist, an absolute perfectionist.
2: Cool. I want to open it up for questions. Wait, can I ask him a question yeah, yeah. real quick? Okay. Well, we're open up for questions. Our first question. Please is
6: please tell week. me there's a bootleg. Like a VHS video of that concert from the balcony.
5: <laughs> Very and
2: good And can question?
6: I have a
5: copy? Very good question. If there is, I, I'm unaware of it. I will you say have... this he
2: was, I think you were, when we, when we first chatted, it was probably almost a year ago. Yes. I don't think you knew there were photos. So maybe, I didn't. So yeah, I, I sent didn't. you a couple. Yes, you so did. Maybe, maybe there is out there. You I know. didn't look.
5: I want to add one other thing. They were t- you were talking about fake IDs. When the state of Ohio, Big part of my life. And, and Ohio was one of only two states. Most people don't know this. As a permit holder, I knew this. There were only two states left that were not 21 exclusively for alcoholic beverages. And the only reason they both changed, it was, I believe it was Louisiana and Ohio, is because the federal government uh, threatened to withhold state highway funding if, if the state of Ohio did not change the age for uh, alcoholic beverages. So I said to my staff, I said, you know, we run a tight ship. Why should we be second-class citizens in terms of limiting our patrons to 21 and over? So we immediately became an all-ages club. So you didn't have to be 21 to come and see the shows. Plus, a lot of the artists that, that played Bogarts attracted a younger demographic who were not 21. So we were very tough uh, in terms of checking IDs and then checking for people passing drinks. But when the law changed, we went to all ages. So we wouldn't you know, restrict uh, admittance Because Riverbend, the Coliseum, Music Hall, Taft Theater, they all served alcoholic beverages, but they didn't have any such restrictions on age. So we thought, why should we?
2: Uh, okay, we'll take some questions. If you haven't raised your hand, we have some mic wranglers here. All right, we but I've got to
8: uh, Mike Miller here from the music box. I'll tell you my own personal print, <laughs> print story. Uh, so uh, I had a, I have a cousin who's a muckety muck in the uh, uh, Hollywood, just way up. <laughs> and I went out to visit her, and in the mid eighties, uh, and so she uh, promised me to take me to one of the you know, most popular restaurants in L.A., and those turn over pretty quickly, folks. So we walk in, and they said, no, no, uh, we're closed for a private party tonight, and there's no one in the restaurant. It's completely empty, and she had the muscle to say, we're eating here. (laughs) So they stuck us over in the corner. Who walks in the door with a lovely young lady? Prince, he had bought out the restaurant that night. Wow. And he was on a first date. The reason I found that out is as soon as I, walked, I saw him walk in the door, I said, I'm going to go over and say hello. <laughs> now, I owned a blues club in Chicago at the time. So I, she was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but I went over and said hello to Prince and said I owned a club in Chicago. And uh, Blues Club, uh, we just presented a fellow by the name of Buddy Guy last weekend. And he was like, you presented Buddy Guy? And I said, yeah, in Chicago. I got to sit with him for 20 minutes and talk all the blues music. He wanted to know the name of every blues artist we had presented at this club in Chicago. And he wanted my opinion on who the best guitarist was. And so I got to spend 20 minutes at a table the entire time I'm staring at his girl (laughs) because she was very pretty. So that's my story. Who else has another (laughs) question over here? We have a question. We're going to go over here first. Mid-80s. I don't remember.
2: Yeah, we'll go right here.
3: Hello. You did a phenomenal job uh, facilitating. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much.
1: Absolutely. Appreciate that. Awesome
3: job, Troy. I'm here with my lovely girlfriend, who is a big Prince fan. I'm more of a classic rock 60s and 70s, but Prince is obviously uber talented.
6: We're sorry to hear that.
3: I'm uh, sorry. She is, too. Um, but my question is for this gentleman over here. You talked about your top five earlier, and Prince was in it. Who's your other top five?
4: Beatles, Stones, Dylan, Probably Bowie. Yeah,
3: thank you. Yeah.
2: Mike, there's somebody I think behind. Uh, We'll go right here, then, Mike. There's somebody.
8: Oh, oh, okay. All
2: right. Go ahead,
9: Uh, sir. All right. Go Go ahead. Fire away. Yeah. uh, Favorite B-side and least favorite Prince album. That's for anybody up there.
6: Oh, I got. Oh, I want to. I know you guys want to, I got to chime in. Uh, parade, because that's when, at the end of Parade, he got rid of the revolution. Wait, Parade's your least favorite album? It is my least favorite, just because, yeah, I know, I know, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But Eric Leeds and then Atlanta Bliss came in, and, and he played the whole joke on the revolution, thinking that, you know, all the, all the rules were lightening up, and basically that was their, that was their goodbye tour. And he, but he forgot to tell them. And he didn't even let him have half the tour. So so thank you for letting me get out my rant, my one rant about the prince. Thank you very much.
2: When he says that when it's a Prince and the Revolution uh tribute, he he's really <laughs> diehard revolution. Uh, Michael, you, you you went hard on the B sides. So do you have a favorite B side oh, I mean, Yeah.
4: Just, um <laughs> there's so many. I mean Shaka Delica is up there.
1: Oh, I love that song.
4: Seventeen Days is up there, but it, Probably Erotic City. It should have been that on an album. All right. And it's Yes. I could probably list 10 more, but I'm probably going to go with Erotic City.
1: That's the song that really gets my juices flowing when we're on stage. I mean, that's when we have are at that point in our show. We've already done so many sexy songs, you know, a- including Head. And then we get to Erotic City and I'm like, this is my jam. I love this song. This was one of the ones I loved growing up okay. as a kid. And I really like to rock that one out. Um, I might need some help. Verifying that this is a B-side, because being the like, newest Prince fan, I guess, compared to all these guys up here, but I really love Money Don't Matter. Is that a B-side, or is that a hit? No,
9: no. Diamonds and Pearls. This should have been a single.
1: Well, I do love that song, too, but I, really, I do really right. like that song a lot. Right. I love that,
9: too. Great, great song.
2: Don't hate me. We I mean, lost a few points, but you didn't say Parade was your least favorite Prince album. No, so I are? did not. Okay. Sorry, it, w- it just right. gave, it,
6: it just gave me the opportunity. I know it's not a B side, but it gave me the opportunity right. to get out this frustration. <laughs> Go uh, ahead. It's it's healing for me. It's the way I it's the way I get by. i really uh, we can uh,
2: cut mics off up here. Okay. <laughs> right. we, <that's>
1: <laughs> I've really become a big fan in the years, but. Um, be, especially being in oh, okay. the band doing a lot of research. But I love his sophomore self-titled album, Prince, where he's shirtless on the cover. That's my favorite album. Playing.
9: Another lover holding here. One, we... Okay, so I'm a big Prince fan. So I have a bootleg that I did, yeah, definitely illegally, CSU. <laughs> the Emancipation Tour. Which year now, was it?
2: Because he played, it was it 97, 98, and 2000 at CSU? That was
9: like the 2000 tour. And he yeah. was playing all the hits. He had Dougie Fresh along with him. I have the bootleg. What should I do? I don't mind sharing with people. Hey, Warner Brothers, come after me. I don't care. Keep it care. going. You Keep can't get nothing with- from me. Were you plugged you, you into the board? You can't get nothing from me. You like getting penny from a, you know what I mean, from a rock. You're not gonna get it. But hey, hit me up, Ramsey Tack. I got that. 2000 Emancipation Tour, CSU. Y'all remember Dougie Fresh? Prince put it down. Prince put it down for sure. I got that. But one more, let me ask, do, Is anybody, Shaka Khan said uh, Prince, during the time he was trying to do his self-medication, the reason why he was doing that and what helped to go into his demise was that he injured himself dancing in those stilettos and jumping yep. off the piano. And he broke both of his ankles. Is that a rumor or is that fact? Had anybody else, you guys are all up there. Anybody else I, know anything I, about that? I
6: heard it was I no, I heard that everybody thought it was from dancing and it was actually he had a motorcycle accident. And uh and he ended up actually having a hip replacement.
9: Right. It was a hip yeah. replacement, but shot. And it was Khan the pain medication. His ankles. She said it was him jumping off the piano and broke both his ankles and his stilettos. Oh. I don't know. So that's why. I mean we could go back, but DJ Vlad, that was on one of the things, so Maybe that's something we could all research and look. I don't know, but it is something that I've I've heard. Yeah, so.
2: we'll talk. We'll find a way to get that leak.
9: All out right, there but thank you for your it. time.
2: Yeah, appreciate that.
10: Uh, we have one guy over, gentleman over here, Mr. Wayne. Go ahead. All right, I have two questions. Kind of from the opposite end of the spectrum here. When Prince changed his name to the Symbol, it was done as a slap to Warner Brothers, and the public kind of took a step back and weren't sure what to expect from him then. What did the industry see in that? Did they take the message? Did they change their attitude towards him? Or or do you have any ideas? And then the second question, we'll shoot forward a few more than a few years. What do you guys think of Welcome to America, not so much because he's gone, but in comparison to his other music? Because it didn't have the splash that I thought it would. It's good, it's good musically, and the lyrics in particular are very very straightforward as to what he's he's aiming to to convey to people. Is it the culture today that didn't accept it or didn't embrace it? Do you have any ideas? Two good question. Answer them both. Michael, did you guys
2: review Welcome to America?
4: Um, I don't know if we did or not, but I heard it, and I love it. I think it was probably, if it had come out when he was alive, it probably would have been his best record since Musicology. I don't know why. I mean, Taste change? I don't know. I mean, how many veteran artists are still selling well? I mean, I, I guess I can ask that rhetorically and put the pieces together. Not only know.
1: that, at that point, I think the estate had already released several albums after he had passed. And this was
4: the first like real one with all unreleased material. I mean, the other things they'd done besides the originals and the piano and microphone had all been reissues with all the The Sign of the Times one is great. If all of you haven't heard the, I I don't even know how many, five discs on it or something. All the B-sides and all of the stuff that was left over from the sessions, it's amazing. But I I don't know if that's so much it or not. I mean, maybe there was. I mean, the estate was releasing one album a year at that point. They could have just gotten beaten down. The whole Elvis thing, you know? So many reissues, you know?
1: A lot of fans in the Facebook groups that, that we're in, and we market some of our shows to, I see a lot of the content that they post, and they were really upset after he passed and the estate was still releasing these albums. They're like, he's gone, you know, it was against his wishes that he wanted this released, um, but people bought it anyway, including those people, and they listened to it, and they would promote it and share it in those groups. But a lot of people were just really upset that the, his estate would go back and, and do that after he had been gone.
4: Yeah, that could be. I mean, at that point, with legacy artists like that, you have the real fans or the ones who are still buying these records, and maybe there was some backlash. I think with the what I remember,
2: I, I was younger, uh, with the symbol, I remember my parents distinct both Prince fans being on opposite sides of the fence. So I remember my mom being like, He's a weirdo, he's turned into a weirdo, I don't understand this. And my dad being like, That's the most badass shit I ever seen in my life. Now, to be clear, my dad's black and my mom's white, so that might have something to do with it. But um, I mean, my dad's stance was who the hell can pull off being a symbol?" But I'm curious, uh, Alan, you were still uh, at Bogart's at that time. What's your reaction? Because you're dealing with musicians all the time. One of the biggest stars of all time just becoming a symbol to the point where you can't call him anything.
5: You know, most of the people I knew thought it was very unusual. But they still wanted the music because he was a great artist. And the music is going to sell whether he's a symbol or whether he's Prince. And if it would have been anybody else, it might not have worked. And it's just like when you talk about it, I mean, tastes change. I mean, I don't think the Archies would do real big today, would they? <laughs> but they were pretty big back. What I,
6: what I find is really interesting too, I was thinking about like, um, like the, the, the music that Prince wrote for other artists. I mean, he ended up hitting number one many other times through other artists. And, and that was the great thing about when we started doing his music and, and looking at the songs we were going to do and how different they were from each other. But it was all the fact that it was Prince. Because if you look at Manic Monday, if you look at, you know, uh, you know, nothing compares to you, you couldn't link that back to Prince just by hearing it. You know what I mean? It just was totally different. But it's like, um, you know, I was, I was really impressed that his musical career did continue on very popular. <laughs> Uh, through these other songs and this other work that he did.
2: And then, I think the symbol, to put the point in your question, I think the symbol thing is aged better when you look back at it, you know, as opposed to the time, of course. Uh, any other, we have?
1: Okay. Wait. Uh, <laughs> we'll versus- <laughs> <laughs> Ap- oh, I'll, I'll give you an answer. Apollonia.
2: This might be a discussion for the after party. Um,
6: <laughs> you know what was? You know what was really? No.
2: You know. What,
6: you, know what, you know what I thought was really interesting when you, when he, when he mentioned Eddie Money, that that video. You know, going back to my MTV, the the, the, the Eddie Money video for Shaken, that was Apollonia, in that video. I was shocked. I mean, I found out I, I found out about that. I was like, Oh my God! I'm in love with this girl already.
1: I really could make an argument for Vanity. She is fine. <laughs> <laughs> she is fine. I love Vanity. I mean, she had that smoldering, sexy we got, look.
2: <laughs> We're gonna throw a question down
1: here.
2: The debate over <laughs> Apollonia and Vanity could go on, and but she-, she she can play though. We got. We, let's go. Right. I
11: don't have a question as much sure. as I have a statement. Um, I'm not sure if anyone has been to Paisley Park, but if you've been to, if you haven't been to Paisley Park, you know that bucket list that as we get older, you want to go to Paisley Park. That place was, it was two things to me and my husband. We went for our anniversary. It was, it was eerie because you're in his space, you're in his home. You're walking through the spaces and the places that he actually walked and touched. You are in his sound room and you're actually viewing everything. You, we sat on a couch and uh, uh, actually designed a couch in my house exactly like it. But on the flip side, it's one of those overwhelming highs that we middle-aged people <laughs> get not often when you're in your 50s or whatever but it was so surreal that I think as I was dancing my husband actually got on got chosen to go on stage to sing one of his songs in his baritone voice and won. and it was it it was just so it was so crazy can we hear it
8: what did he sing yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, well, we've got somebody over here who's been there. We've got a question over here, Troy, who, uh, from, who's been there twice, at Paisley twice. Okay. So he has a question. Thank you for sharing that, by the way.
12: So I really didn't have a, well, I guess I do have a question. Well, my question was going to be, has anyone on the panel been to Paisley Park? But she just touched on it. And my comment also goes to the Welcome to America. One of the things I loved about Prince was he was ahead of his time. A lot of you have said he was a perfectionist. But he was, I mean, light years ahead of his time. From putting the music out online to uh, so much stuff. And so when I listened to Welcome to America, I was like, that is still relevant today. Even though he made it back, what, 2004, I believe? I mean, it was just, it really speaks to you. And then going back to the Paisley Park thing, that is just... That definitely is an experience. When we went, um, you were supposed to be able to record on one of his um, songs, and it was down. So they invited us back to a private party a few nights later, and we walk in. There's no security. I want to take out my camera and start recording because, you know, they, they put your camera phones and stuff in a bag or whatever. But I wanted to record so bad, but like she said, we were sitting there, uh, It was the guy was telling us how Prince had just performed on this stage, you know, not too long ago, and we were sitting in a booth where Madonna had sat, and it was just like mind-blowing, and then the second time I went, I actually realized where the elevator was, unfortunately, and they, they boarded it up, they, they put a wall up there, and I was like, oh, this is where, because when you look upstairs in the atrium, you can see the upstairs, you can see the elevator upstairs, but they put a wall over it downstairs. So I was like, oh, wow. I was Like, it's just, like she said, it was eerie, though, because I'm like, man, I mean, it's just overwhelming. So the question, though, was, had anyone on the panel been to Paisley Park? I
11: have not. Not yet.
6: I've not been to Paisley Park, but that's the reason why we got a replica Prince Motorcycle in the band. Uh, we, we bring one on, on our show. Actually, if you come to see our show here, you'll see the, the motorcycle downstairs in the lobby. And you can actually sit on our motorcycle where you can't sit at the one in Paisley Park. So.
8: Hey, uh, guys, uh, we have a uh, person right here who has Apollonia on the phone.
7: I don't have her on the phone. Oh, oh, I'm, oh, I, uh, I'm texting with her right now, actually. i Danielle. Of
1: course Danielle has Apollonia. Yeah, you know How are you?
7: You know me. Yes, Hi guys. I do. What is happening uh, that's not a question. And
1: wearing an Apollonia shirt. <laughs> of course. Hello.
7: Um, That's not a question, but this man brought up the Apollonia vanity thing. So I thought it would be pretty cool to say that Apollonia Katero sends her love. And thank you all for your support.
1: Thank you, Apollonia. I voted for her.
7: I tried to get her to call in, but she is actually... um. She is filming her podcast. She has a podcast on YouTube now. Uh, Apollonia Studio 6. She's had Jill Jones on. She's saying Take Me With You Live with Andre Simone. She's got all the Prince Protégés. So um, check her out on that. But I, I did want to say that she says thank you all for what you're doing. And I told her that you said you met her years ago and she was sweet. And she says thank you very much. So Aww. Apollonia. y'all. such a sweetheart. But I do love me some vanity. Don't get me wrong. i going to take... <laughs>
2: We're Don't take, get it uh, twisted. We're going to take.
7: I love take, Sheila's two. music, but it was always Apollonia oh Six and Vanity Six. I'm going to take, I would
2: take two, my, two more questions. One here. I think this gentleman, you've been. It, it, yeah, he said it's wearing your arm out. I got you, though. We're going to get over there. Uh, her first her two All right, all right.
0: Let's go. Okay, one of my first. I'll squeeze you. Out. No, it was the first concert I paid for myself. I turned 18 years old. I'm going to see how many people was here that went to this concert at Public Hall. Prince, The Time, and Vanity Six. Do, do anybody remember that? Okay. <laughs> okay, I just wanted Said $17. to say <laughs> $17? And the second part is, any information from you guys on stage about the path of Prince with Larry Graham and that concert that they have, and the writing for Shaka Khan. So many people do not know the connection the three of them had together performing, and how many songs Prince wrote for Shaka Khan and their relationship. So that's the, my part two question.
4: <laughs> Mike, do you want to take that? What was the question? <laughs>
2: <You>. <laughs>
1: the and that's such a fantastic song. Again, that's on my favorite Prince album. Yeah. One, of the songs that, one of the songs that we're working on for future shows, actually, the Prince version of I Feel For You
2: we were looking at the relationship with with Prince, Larry Graham, and 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 Shaka Khan. How you know, um, Prince wrote a lot of songs for a lot of people, and 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 Shaka Khan, obviously, her, you know, arguably one of her biggest hits uh, was from him. Um, you know, and I think she was making that point that their career, you know, her career is tied to his and the impact that he had on that. So, it was so much a question, but I think she was oh. bringing that into the spotlight.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention one more thing. Yeah, go <laughs> I, ahead. Does uh, Larry Graham? Being a Jehovah's Witness, my, I have some family members that's Jehovah's Witness, so they really was into, and my father was a musician here at, um, back in the day at the, not the Music Box, Okay. anyway. Anyway, um, and he brought it to my attention because he was into that. And he said, you know, uh, he's studying with Larry Graham to be a witness and became a witness. So part of that story, um, what do you guys have any information about, about that? Because I noticed at the award show, He apologized on stage for saying he made songs that might have offended people and that he wasn't that type of person before. They were honoring him at one of these award shows. It was on TV and everything. And that kind of touched me. And I was like, well, he's still Prince and he's writing his, his truth and walking in his light. But the religious experience changed some of his music.
1: Yeah, and I think that he was on a journey at that point, too, where he was trying to maybe apologize for some things, but maybe he wasn't sure if he was proud of them. And for a while, he stopped playing a lot of those songs. I've seen so many performances of him where he would even play the songs, just the instrumental, and not sing them, like Controversy on the Ellen Show, for example. Right, right. He didn't do that stuff anymore. Sorry, that's that's.
6: Oh, by the way, how much was that concert ticket that you paid for? She said...
2: She said twenty bucks. It went from years. what
6: was it, three dollars to to twenty. Oh, and when was the last 15. Prince ticket, like five hundred dollars? Um,
2: yeah, I want to get this gentleman in All over right, here. All right, this guy right
3: question. here. All right. So this is like really a three-part question. My first question is, um, how bad do you think the industry blackballed Prince because of his uh, rebellion against? you know, uh, the industry and wanting to own, and artists to own their masters? Um, Secondly, are you guys happy with what the Prince Estate has uh, done with his music and legacy up to this point? And finally, do you think that uh, the vault, the legendary vault, has lived up to its um, mystique and reputation? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I, I think so. I mean, a lot of the music that I've listened to, again, not growing up with the music as much as you guys have, just being like a researcher from an observer's point of view, falling in love with the music, and kind of sad that I didn't get to grow up with it, and finding some things that I love about it, like piano and a microphone, and on the um, the 80s, one that they released, I forget what they called it, where he's wearing the trench coat on the cover, it says Prince in red, and they the originals thank you and he has a song on there wouldn't you love to love me babe wouldn't you i just yeah. absolutely love that song and i wish that would have been released in the 80s what's that yeah it's a fantastic song and and it's great to hear a lot of that music come out of the vault but prince himself shelved those things for a reason he didn't want people to hear them and and speaking sorry mike oh, no, that's okay. speaking to the masters part about you know his feud with warner brothers and everything he he probably pissed off a lot of people in the industry because then they're not making money off of that stuff. And, and yeah, I think he saw a hit a little bit in his career because of it, but now he's paved the way for people today. Uh, like Taylor Swift, for example, who went through her own master's battle and is re-recording all of her own music. It always comes back to Taylor Swift, doesn't right, it? I guess it does. <laughs> so artists, I think myself included, are forever indebted to him for paving the way for that. Let me, let me
6: just add, too, that Paisley Park has been wonderful to us. They could very easily uh, chop the head off our steak. <laughs> I mean, they could, they could very easily stop us from doing the music, and they could stop us from doing everything. And they, they don't, and it's, and it's wonderful. And they give us a lot of guidance, too. So Paisley Park's been terrific for us.
2: Yeah, wait till they find out you don't like Parade. Then they're coming for they're you. They're coming for you. They are
1: here
6: I'm sorry if anybody remembers the video it was um, it was another lever hole in your head 1985. That video where where Prince introduces Eric Leeds and Atlanta, Atlanta Bliss and then looks at the audience to see their reaction all the while the revolution is just having a blast because they're not. You know, Wendy can finally wear clothes she wants to wear now, and Bobby Z isn't being yelled at every five minutes. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry.
9: I'm sorry. <laughs> it's
6: very deep, and, and to my to my credit, to my credit, and and I'd like you guys to comment on this if you could. When when did the the gigantic Prince love fest happen? Because for a majority of his career prior to him dying, everybody respected his music, but uh, as far as like his relationship with the time, his relationship with Morris Day, his relationship with the the record companies, his relationship with a lot of people
2: uh, was bad. And I mean, things time has glossed over a lot. Of I stuff. think absence uh, to me, you know, yeah. from a you know, absence will make the heart grow fonder. And I think it became a point where Prince went away. And I think yeah. when you saw him come out to present a Grammy or something like that, it was this like oh moment. You oh know? yeah, and
1: like he's. A- Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. He's, yeah. a, he's star power, wow.
2: And, and sadly, we don't always appreciate the great artists when they're here, you know. Um, and it, it takes that time away or sometimes even death for us to really understand who they were and what they gave us. So, um,
5: I was going to add uh, in answer to his question. I think you could equate Prince to Kurt Flood in baseball. He was, he was the Kurt Flood of the music industry with what he did. And and he opened it up for artists, and and obviously, uh, the labels didn't want to lose that revenue. And just as Kurt Flood took a stand, so did Prince.
8: We have we he
3: has one follow up question. Sure. My, my follow up question is for Leah. Um, earlier, you kind of mentioned that the songs in the vault were songs that Prince didn't want you to hear. Do you think it was more of that, or that he has he was such a prolific? Uh, songwriter that he couldn't release everything uh, you know he chose some that worked best with those albums at the time and when he wanted to release more music obviously warner brothers felt as though he was flooding the industry and that would cut into profit so do you think that he didn't want them out or that it just wasn't right at the right time to release them
1: Yeah, it's probably a mixture of all of that because he had such amazing music and was writing at a crazy speed. I mean, when you build a studio in your own home and you are as talented and skilled and as obsessed with recording music as Prince was, you're bound to have an endless output. So filling that cabinet up probably happened relatively quickly. And you're right. He probably would outpace the rest of the industry and... At some point, if they would have released everything, we all would have went. Oh my God, more Prince.
2: (laughs) We're like, is that possible? Well, even like Michael said, what Sign of the Times was supposed to be, and we're going to get a taste of that, you know? Right. And
4: he asked about, you know, how you know we feel about the vault recordings. The (laughs) Sign of the Times box is just phenomenal. I mean, it just puts all of that music into perspective, and because of those three albums, it was supposed to be. And also, you know, Prince just didn't leave a lot of that stuff there at the time. And there's I forget the name of which song is on Graffiti Bridge which is actually recorded like way back like I think during the 1999 sessions and he would go revi- Which one?
1: Yeah, that's right. He rewrote the lyrics to it.
2: Right, and you have And you have Jack White's releasing, you know, the album of, you know, where he was... I forget the name of it, with the female persona from some of the stuff from... Right,
4: the Camille Camille thing. Camille,
2: yeah. Yeah. And and a
4: song like She's Always in My Hair came out like as a B-side from um, around the world, but that was recorded during the Purple Rain sessions and ended up as a B-side. And again, you know, as I said earlier, those B-sides were better than most artists' A's, you know? (laughs)
2: Let me... uh, I think we have to wrap this up, guys. I'm sorry. Before Mike Miller gives me the hook. Um, I appreciate, I want to say this, too, before we get out of here. This is the best Q&A session we've had. And I feel like you guys brought an energy to this show that was tremendous. So I really, really appreciate that. It was phenomenal. Um, and again this will be flipped into a podcast they'll be available via cleveland.com and on all major podcast platforms through our CLE Rocks podcast tomorrow morning give it up for this panel thank you guys so much for joining me much love and long live Prince thank you everybody have a good night
3: wonderstruck is coming to Cleveland For this two-day music festival, see top artists including The Lumineers, Vampire Weekend, and more. Get your tickets now at wonderstruckfest.com.